Melnick in the afternoon. Listen live weekdays from three to seven on TSN six ninety. You know, for me, it was you know I covered nine of these where the horse fell short. And, uh, just felt really cool to be there. You know, to know that this was going to happen, and I wasn't going to have to write another failure story and uh, trudge out of a track disappointed. And you know, you know, it doesn't matter that much who wins, but you'd like to write history. You know, before you get out of the game, and uh, just it just was cool to know that I was going to get a chance to do that and, uh, and to see how excited everybody was. And American Pharaoh makes his run for glory as they come into the final furlong. Frosted is second with one eighth of a mile to go. American Pharaoh's got a two length lead. Frosted is all out at the 16th pole. And here it is. The 37 year wait is over. American Pharaoh is finally the one. American Pharaoh has won the Triple Crown. It won according to Bob Baffert and Victor Espinosa and, and American Farrell's plan. You know, they wanted to get into the lead and control the pace, to get out in front and then keep the race slow. There's a man right there who's won awards for covering thoroughbred racing over the years. Uh, he's senior writer at SI.com, Sports Illustrated. It's Tim Layden with us in the second hour of the show on History at Belmont Park, where he was on Saturday on Melnick in the Afternoon on TSN 690, hour number four, with Rod Francis, Mitch Gallo, David Trent Dewey helping us out. It's a pleasure to welcome back every Monday at this time from Sports Illustrated, senior writer. Michael Farber, how are you? You know, I'm great. I was in Tampa last week and the coach of the lightning john cooper called jonathan taves captain everything well tim Layden is captain everything at sports illustrated and he covers track and field he does football he does horse racing he does everything brilliantly and the piece that he wrote that ran on the website and a similar piece will run in the magazine uh, it's just outstanding, and there is no one who writes better, quicker, and can do more things than Tim Layden, and uh, I'm honored he's a friend of mine. Well, that that the key right there, what you said, because, you, you know, I'm I'm not a, uh, a keen fan, um, but I am a fan of moments like this. Like, who isn't, if you're a sports fan? Uh, the Secretariat moment in 73, to me, that was the most thrilling to this day of, of a sports event I've ever seen on television. I was uh, I was barely 14 years old at the time, but I wanted to read something about what I just saw, and I believe Tim Layden's piece was up there before anybody's. I mean, he got it up there considering the time, and it, you can explain, you could speak to this, how difficult that is to do. Oh, it's extraordinarily difficult to do, and uh, Tim was a newspaper writer. Uh, came out of uh, Albany and then uh, Newsday, and he was part of the SI class of 1994. Uh, I, that was the year I left the Gazette and went to SI, and Tim came about three months after I did, and Scott Price, SL Price, mm-hmm. uh, was part of that, and Jerry Callahan, uh, who is now a radio uh, personality in Boston, who had been a columnist at the Boston Herald. He uh, he joined as well that year, and Jerry stayed about a year or two, but uh, the rest of us were there. I'm kind of an emeritus guy now. Um, that's why I am not going to be at the rest of the Stanley Cup final. I uh, I did my duty this week in the magazine, and, and I'm gone. But uh, Tim is as hard a working guy as there is. He is so well-connected, and he just... Uh, 
writes everything, and I know uh, he did uh, a bunch of interviews today, and I'm delighted uh, he came on with you. Yeah, thanks for your help, uh, Michael. Right. I appreciate it very much. It was great having him on. What was your view of what you saw? I hope you saw it. Oh, yeah. I was actually uh, sitting in the press room in the building in Tampa, and my first thought was, well, there goes two pages I was supposed to get. <laughs> yeah, because really, Mitch, isn't it all about me and, and you? And you mentioned uh, Secretariat and the, the disparity in the times of the races, and I suppose that's a little bit unfair to compare any horse to Secretariat. But there's a great Sports Illustrated story about that as well, uh, by an SI writer named Bill Mack, who at the time was not at Sports Illustrated. He was a columnist at Newsday. And... He got so excited in, in the press box at Belmont Park, and it's a long press box. He actually started running in lockstep or as fast as he could go with Secretariat <laughs> down there. And Bill Max, the greatest horse racing writer, certainly, of, uh, of my time in the business. And uh, he was also a, a great colleague at Sports Illustrated. He left in uh, 2001, just before the 2002 Olympics. So uh, there's been some terrific writing in Sports Illustrated. I believe, I don't know this for sure, but I believe uh, that the uh, the uh, horse will be on the cover. And, and that's terrific. You know, it's, this happens once every 37 years. It's like Mike picking up a check. <laughs> With Michael Farber on Melnick in the afternoon on uh, TSN 690. And there were some people complaining about, you know, well, maybe they ought to change the format of this. Shouldn't be easy to win the Triple Crown? Well, horses are different now than they were back when you know, I was paying a little bit more attention to. They're, the American horse is not bred for this kind of distance, a mile and a half at Belmont. They're bred for speed. And it's like starting pitching in baseball. I mean, in 1968, Bob Gibson pitch 304 innings. Uh, if you pitch 200 plus now, you are a stud. You are a workhorse. I mean, Steve Rogers, my goodness, uh, even with bad arms, he was throwing 260, 275. Oh, it's, it's, he, he made 40 starts one year for the Expos. Exactly. You were dealing with four-man rotations. You remember the 1966 Baltimore Orioles? Or maybe you don't, but you know it about them. The 420 game winners? Exactly. Yeah. And you'll never see... That again, I remember covering the Yankees in 1978. Ron Guidry went 25-3. and three. And I know we don't do trivia here, but all his losses were to left-handers named Mike. I'll let you think about that, and we can discuss it at a future date. Left-handers named Mike. But Billy Martin was managing the team, and he publicly was getting on Guidry because there were a couple games he didn't finish. You know, he'd pitch into the ninth or he might have to take him out with two outs in the eighth. And Martin brought that up. Hey, this guy's got to learn how to close games. <laughs> if a guy was pitching consistently into the ninth or even into the eighth, they'd be having ticker tape parades for him now. It's just the fuss over Duncan Keith and his minutes in the Stanley Cup. Larry Robinson played half the game. Serge Savard played half the game. Even Ray Bork played half the game. Bobby Orr played half the game. But if you put it in the context of the modern day, uh, it's uh, just you don't see it. And I think that, more than anything, to get back to, to Belmont Park and the Triple Crown, uh, is why we haven't uh, seen these kinds of uh, things happen more often, even though horses have won quite frequently, certainly in recent years, the first two legs. 
I'm, I'm uh, reminded uh, Billy Martin ended up killing his staff in Oakland when yep. he went to manage Oakland. Yeah, Remember those did. guys, Dave McCarty and uh, two, Steve McCaddy. Steve McCaddy, uh, right. That's a curveballer who I can picture and can't think of his name. Yeah, we were talking about this the uh, exactly in Tampa. This is what sports writers do, Mitch. You know, we we talk about stuff that happened a long time ago, and also where we're going for dinner. <laughs> well, gang, there's another goaltender change for the Lightning. Ben Bishop goes down the hallway. We won't guess, but it will be intriguing to find out after the second appearance tonight of Vasilevsky. All right, so we don't know unless you do. Uh, I don't. Because, you know, Gallo, that's one of the reasons we watch is, is to never to see something we've never seen before. Gallo saw something on a baseball field. I thought it, when you said you, you saw something over the weekend you, you never saw before, I thought it would be a little more spectacular than <laughs> yeah. what you described. Yeah, I've seen the pop fly with Jose Reyes standing on second base as a runner in the shortstop and second baseman getting crossed up. Shortstop wants to play the ball but runs into Reyes and the umpire rules it's okay because Reyes is entitled to second base. So that's what he has. I've never seen a Stanley Cup final, a, a guy twice leaving the ice as a goalie. It was very odd, and I didn't quite know what to make of it. I saw it right away because there was a delayed penalty, and you saw, I was watching Bishop, and he was laboring, and he went to the bench but really kept going up the tunnel. And so I said, well, that's it for the night. And then he comes back, and then he leaves again. Now, there are three theories, and none of which have been... Um, so far borne out. We don't know. Uh, we'll all be watching tonight. Um, but the first one, and Corey Hirsch, who had been his goalie coach in St. Louis for a little while before Rick Walmsley, uh, who also had uh, Bishop in Ottawa, he said, well, it looked like the play with Hosa and the pads, and I've seen that before, and that's often a groin. And TVR was reporting that it was a knee injury, and then there was a theory that it was dehydration. You wouldn't really come back from an injury, but you might have to leave. You spent some time in Tampa, Mitch. Yeah, uh, I, I, I'm a. We're. Uh, I know how hot it is there. Yeah. Well, uh, <laughs> it's also known for other things. There's a huge Air Force base there, McDill, and it's also known for the per capita gentlemen's club capital of the world. Uh, there are more of these places. It, it's, it's the ballet, as we like to refer to the it. The ballet. And it's uh, on a strip of a highway called Dale Mayberry, not far from where the Buccaneers play, uh, not far from I-275. Not that you ever picked up a check there or anything. No. <laughs> but you know about these places. And yes, Tampa Bay is very well known for it, this. In the same way that athletes have heard of uh, some of Montreal's uh, establishments without ever having been there. So this is one of the things that Tampa is noted for. Well, you know, you just wonder, you know, is that the Tenderloin District, or is it somewhere south of Ben Bishop's belt buckle? If it is a groin, that's clearly the new Tenderloin District <laughs> in Tampa. Um, I'm betting, if I had to make a bet, I think it would be dehydration. Bishop was on the ice today at practice. Uh, he was the first off on the pregame skate. Those type of things tend to indicate he's the starter, although I remember one playoff game, uh, Larry Plough coaching the Hartford Whalers uh, kept trying to confuse the Canadians with uh, Liut and Sidorkowitz, I think, and sent the different guy out. didn't matter. Montreal won 4-1, but there, there might be some game playing here, and we're not going to find out tonight because John Cooper would rather give you his pin number than tell you what really happened. <laughs> 
Pierre Maguire an hour ago at the ring. He's fine. He was doing fine. He comes out, takes the net. He's in the visitor's net for the entire pregame skate in the morning. He looks fine. Maybe a little bit slow, but he looks fine. I don't think it was an illness. I think it happened on a Vermette wraparound. Unless you're with the Tampa Bay Lightning and the training staff, you won't know. You just won't know. All right, and he believes Bishop will play as well. Finishing up with Michael Farber. Rod, you've been to San Francisco. Have you been to the Tenderloin District? I'm just curious if you know, uh, Michael mentioned I, I have that. avoided the Tenderloin and uh, the Castro so far. <laughs> Um, have you watched the NBA Finals? Uh, a little bit. I got home uh, late last night uh, from Tampa on a long day of flying, and I caught a little bit. What, what strikes me is this exercise in reductionism and how we can look at, well, this is Stephon Curry against LeBron James, and that's how not only the league markets it, but the way the players think they have to play. I mean, Curry didn't have it last night, and yet he's clanking up shot after shot. And if you go back to game one, LeBron James, rather than trying to find a teammate, uh, was taking a a really bad shot at the end of regulation. Uh, The culture of it uh, becomes mano a mano, and we've seen that really since uh, it first got marketed in 1979 when Bird, Larry Bird came out of Indiana State and Michigan State sent uh, Irvin Johnson to the NBA, and that was hype even more when Michael Jordan came out in 1984. Uh, but it's one thing that makes the game more digestible for fans. This is what we have to look for, this guy against this guy. But in my mind, makes it inferior in the sense it's not the team sport that hockey is. And, and even if Duncan Keith is on the ice for half the game, he's not on it for 90% of the game, and he doesn't have the puck on his stick the whole game. And this is why I prefer hockey. Are you going to write a – I remember a column uh, you wrote. Mm-hmm. You know, I carried it around. I had it on, my, on the bulletin board down the hallway at uh, Fort Street. For, and then I carried it in my wallet for many, many years. Was it 10 or 12 reasons why baseball is better than hockey? Yeah. At the time, uh, <laughs> I was spending a lot of time. Long before you went into the Hockey Hall of Fame. Around, uh, yeah, yeah. There you go. What do we say about consistency? Uh, yeah, so you know? hockey is the 12 reasons why hockey is better than basketball. Well, consistency, the hobgoblin of little minds. <laughs> We've gone some weird places today, Mitch. Yeah, how about the F1? You don't want to go there, huh? uh, No, I don't want to go to F1, but I will end with this. Uh, Canada won, China nothing. Canada whines constantly about how were they, they were hosed in uh, soccer and the Olympics and holding the ball by Aaron McLeod and the goalie and that ridiculous call, and it was. Uh, that was a penalty uh, that I thought was kind of odd at that point of the game that was either a very brave or I think a very foolish referee, and I think Canada was pretty lucky to get it. Always great talking to you, Mike. Thanks. Melnick in the afternoon. Listen live weekdays from 3 to 7 on TSN 690.